0: Good to see you all. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, and welcome to those joining us online. Uh, It's a blessing to be able to meet in person and to celebrate the goodness of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to be in Luke 17. Just a couple of things. Uh, Usually, there's a—it's not a dash, but there's a movement, definitely towards tea and coffee. Just encourage you guys to stay kind of just where you're at or in this room— so we avoid uh, too much mingling, and we'll just take tea and coffee orders and bring them to you. So hopefully that works out. And uh, after the service, we'll have probably a little debrief with talking about rosters and how we're going to work things moving forward. So again, great to see you all. We'll be in Luke 17 today. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word and for your truth and for this time to gather in your name. Thank you that uh, though we're not all able to sing, Lord, you receive our praise. It is like a sweet offering before you when people join and gather in your name in obedience to you. And Lord, thank you that you've given us voices to praise you and also to be silent and to be thoughtful and to meditate on your words and the things you tell us. And pray that you would fill us with your spirit this morning, Lord, and that we would draw close to you as we hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you agree that people value independence? Yeah, we like independence. We like the freedom to go where we want, to do what we want, when we want. We like autonomy, the right to make decisions for ourselves. And if we're obliged to do anything, we we like to decide what it is we're doing or what's best suited for us. And we, we really would prefer to not have anything forced upon us. I think we'd all agree with that. Uh, and I think because of that, the word duty has fallen out of favor. You don't hear people talking about their duty. I think it, it, goes, it harkens back to the idea of being a subject, being a subject to a king or to God or a government, a requirement to pay taxes or to vote or you had to go to church. It was like culture and tradition defined what your duty was. But without the fear of God, duty became a burden that people are like, why am I carrying this around? I don't need to do this. And in our day of humanism and hedonism and every ism under the sun, it's the sovereign right of the individual who gets to choose what, they, uh, what their duties will be. And I think the biggest, uh, the most favorite one is a duty to please ourselves, uh, to express ourselves. And God gives us the freedom to choose but aiming to serve ourselves, it always ends in bondage. We miss our purpose for being creative because there's a freedom in the worship of God, in serving Him, when, because He doesn't force us to. We can choose to serve Him. And when we deny the responsibilities and the calling that He has upon each one of us, we miss out. And God reveals to us that we've been created in His image. As Christians, He has purchased us, and... He, he loves us, and our duty to Him is more real and pressing than any other duty uh, put upon us or we hold ourselves to because He's given us the ability to observe, to listen, to reason, to think. We'll be held responsible for everything He's assigned us to do, to love God, to love one another, to forgive, to serve, to honor the government, to even pray for our enemies. An enlisted soldier... We know it would be right for him to be court-martialed if he was drunk or sleeping while on duty. And we're on duty all the time before the Lord, who has created us, who has called us and loves us. So, Luke 17, verse 1, we continue with the teaching of Jesus. Says, then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. In the previous chapter, Jesus he addressed covetous Pharisees, um, and he spoke of the story of the rich man and Lazarus, how the rich man became a beggar and how Lazarus was comforted forever. And then he turns and addresses his disciples personally. And he says, it's impossible that no offenses should come because we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. It's obvious that there will be offensive things that we do or say before God and man. There will be hurtful words. There will be cause for displeasure And it's important to understand what's meant by offense here, because it's possible to be offended or put out when someone has done the right thing. Remember, Jesus went back to his hometown in Nazareth, and he preached there, and it says they were offended at him. They stumbled over his words because his teachings they rejected because they they didn't believe he was the Messiah. That's in Matthew 13, 57. It wasn't that Jesus was proud or arrogant or deceitful or rude. He spoke the truth, but they stumbled at it. It's the same word, that word offense. So if I feel offended, it doesn't mean that I'm right and someone else is wrong. If I offend someone, I shouldn't assume that, oh, they're just being sensitive because I can be an offense and I need to examine my own heart. This word offense, it's scandalon. It means a stumbling block, trap, or snare. The Vines Dictionary says it like this. It's the name of the part of the trap to which bait is attached. So that's an offense. That's a stumbling block. It's something that hinders someone else from walking uprightly. It ensnares them, provides an occasion for falling. Jesus says offenses are inevitable, but woe upon those through whom these offenses come, these stumbling blocks And there's a few other verses I want to share with you where the same word for offense is used. Jesus said it to Peter when he was mindful of the things of men, but not God in Matthew 16, 23. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus saw the trap and he he called it out and avoided it. Paul, he used it in relation to false doctrine. In Romans 16:17, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. So that word offenses, it would be a false doctrine. That would be a snare or a stumbling block. The Pharisees didn't believe in Jesus, and they hindered other people from coming to him. So that was an offense. John says, well, avoid offense when we walk in love. We read that in 1 John 2.10 says, he who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling, scandalon, in him. So no cause of stumbling. Jesus said it would be better to tie a millstone around your neck and be thrown into the sea than to stumble one of these little ones by not being mindful of the things of God, by causing a stumbling block of division or of teaching false doctrine. And a a millstone is a very large stone, very heavy, and... uh, it would definitely drown the person who has it around their neck. Um, and the person who would do that would only drown themselves. But to drown others, to cause them to stumble and to be hindered from coming to Christ or following him, that's a greater sin. We need to take seriously the potential that our sin can lead others to sin. Of course, suicide is not the answer when you've caused offense, right? That's a problem that can only be taken Uh, That can only be fixed through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus came to seek and save sinners. Not that we would, in light of our sin, throw ourselves into the sea with a millstone tied around our necks. But that we'd trust in him. We'd repent. Continuing in verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus wisely directed his hearers. He says, take heed to yourselves. It's easy to see the faults of others. It's not so easy to see our own faults to recognize that we are the ones who cause others to stumble. I am, a, I am someone who could cause someone to stumble. I am the one through whom offenses can come. So that's the mindset he's, he is teaching his disciples, to be thinking about themselves. Take heed to yourselves. And he exposes a big stumbling block here in the life of a believer, Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a huge stumbling block to us following Jesus. Our pride, it wants to see others suffer like we have. It wants to punish by attempts to inflict pain, to justify self due to the severity of our pains or the lack of contrition in someone else rather than forgiving them. When a brother sins against us, Jesus said, we are to rebuke him, we're to let him know that he has sinned, not to hold a grudge, not to seek revenge, not to gossip, not to just hold it in in bitterness, and we're not to make our forgiveness of the one who sinned against us contingent upon their repentance, like, oh, I haven't seen much of a change in that person, so I'm not going to forgive them. The point is, they can only receive forgiveness if they admit they need it and ask to receive it. Even if the guilty party refuses to own their error, we honor God to release them from owing us anything. It was Matthew Henry that wrote, Christians should be of a forgiving spirit, willing to make the best of everybody, and they should contrive as much to show that they have forgiven an injury as others to show that they resent it. So that's, a, that's, a, that's restoration. That's desiring the best for someone else. So if someone repents, they've sinned against us, they repent and ask for forgiveness, uh, we should send them out forgiven, even if they do seven times in a day, not to question or to judge their sincerity, because I certainly would be, would you? If someone for seven times in one day doing the same thing over and over, you'd go, man, you're not sorry, but they're asking for repentance and we should send them out forgiven. Forgive in the Greek, it means to go or to send Vine's Dictionary, it says it involves the complete removal of the cause of offense. And the disciples, when they heard this, what did they say? They said, increase our faith. Unforgiveness is a symptom of a lack of faith in God. We too need an increase of faith. Not not more faith in the person that's wronged us. Not faith that they're going to change. Not faith in their lasting reformation but in God who's forgiven us of everything, of all of our sins according to his grace. I had a chat recently with a mate who said very wisely that uh, we're not forgiven because we repent perfectly, because we trot out every sin in every degree, because we're wicked and deceitful. We don't even know our own hearts, uh, the depth of the sin there. And so it's not on the basis of our perfect repentance or our total reformation that God forgives us. It's by grace through faith in him. He forgives us all our transgressions. Having been forgiven like that, we ought to forgive one another. And when God forgives us, he remembers it no more. He doesn't keep a running tally. He doesn't say, hey, you know, by the way, that's the seventh time you've come to me asking for forgiveness today. No, we do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't keep a tally. He doesn't. He's not begrudging. The fact is, we would be embarrassed to seven times in a row in a day admit our need for forgiveness. That I need to be forgiven because I have sinned. We'd be like, I'm too proud. We'd be too proud to repent like this. We would be uh, imagine that we're better than we are, or that we doubt God's grace. All right, I've already done it so many times. He's not going to receive me. The fact is, he does. He's a forgiving, gracious God to those who repent and trust him. Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Faith in God enables God to do the miraculous through us. When we come to God and repent of our unforgiveness, that root of bitterness, he forgives us, he cleanses us, he heals us. There's things impossible for man to do that's possible for God to do. Anyone here, even on a wet day when the soil is nice and moist, could you go to a, one of these great big gum trees and just lift it up by the roots, put it in the sea? No. It can be done, though. I have a friend who's a landscape architect in 2002. And uh, you guys have ever gone to the San Diego Zoo? There's that great big ficus tree when you come in. And in 2002, they moved that tree about 73 meters. It was 220 tons in weight. They moved it 73 meters just to another location for some reason. Took about $250,000 and a team of experts and arborists and engineers to do this. So moving a tree is not impossible, but by faith in God, all is possible. There was one point where the disciples were unable to cast out a demon. After Jesus had given them power over demons to cast them out, they couldn't do it. Matthew 17, 20, after they said, why couldn't we do this? Jesus said, so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. You might be unable to lift up a tree by the roots and put it in the sea. You might be unable to forgive someone, but God forgives all who repent, and he empowers us to do so by grace, through faith in him. Any offense can be drowned in the sea and lost forever through the power of God who works in and through his people. We might imagine a life of faith in God will involve sacrifices like I have to give up my career and I've got to move to a distant land and live in a remote area where I'm far from family, friends, and technology, and that's a sacrifice that I may have to make. And um, you may be afraid of a sacrifice like that, but God calls you to forgive right where you are. That's what he's calling you to do today. You might not feel like forgiving someone, but Jesus When we look to him, he empowers us to do it. Continuing in Luke 17, verse 7. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he is coming from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he think that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. By definition, a servant serves his own master, right? He's a servant. That's his job. He's supposed to do that. And the master, because of his uh, relationship with the servant, had the right to tell him when it was time to make dinner and when it was time to serve him. After the master was done eating, then the servant would eat and drink himself. It's kind of like a restaurant. Restaurant hires employees to greet customers, to take reservations, to take people to their table, to bring the food, to receive the order. The chef, he's in the back cooking the food. There's someone there to take your money before you leave. So all these people are working together to provide this service to you. Now, it would be very strange if you go in, you're like, let's have some sushi. And you go into the sushi restaurant, and the manager comes over, the chef comes over, the person taking your order comes over, and they just sit down with you. And you're like, this is weird. So who's going to make the food? Who's going to take the order? There would be no eating because there'd be no one making the food. It makes perfect sense that, that if they're on the clock, they have a job to do. And it's perfectly legitimate and right for us to thank someone for providing a service, right? We should thank someone who gives you a delicious meal. But the point he is making here is there is a time and a place for all these things. That um, a master is not going to thank his servant for doing the job that he agreed to do. It's expected of him. If, If my son is smelling a bit foul... And I say, you know, you really smell. I I think, please go take a shower. And they take a shower. It would be very odd for them to be crowing about their great personal hygiene. When I told him to take a shower because, right, it's like there's nothing to brag about there because you were told what to do. You didn't think to take a shower until you were made to. One thing we have to keep in the forefront of our minds is our identity with Jesus Christ, that he is our master. We are his servants. We are children of God. We have been bought with a price through the blood of Christ. We haven't been drafted. Uh, We haven't been forced into the kingdom of God. We have chosen to. We have been bought. Before God, we bow as subjects and as servants, as his children whom he loves, he commands us. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and forgive one another, serve one another, pray for your enemies, do good for those who hate to those who hate you. If you've told your son to take out the rubbish, you notice if they've done it or not. If you said, clean up your room, you notice if they clean their room to your standards or not. And we have to look, we have to like peek in like, oh, did he actually clean that? Oh, it's clean, good, good. God, like, he's looking at our hearts all the time. He doesn't have to look. He knows. He knows what our hearts are like. And he's patient with us. He knows if we've done the right thing out of duty that we resent. He knows if we we have been honest with him. We try to interpret a smile or a scowl or a tone of words, but God's looking right at the heart and he knows it. He knows the heart's. And we have a duty to forgive one another as he forgives us. Jesus said to the master, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. When you forgive someone for an offense against you, God is not in your debt and that person is not in your debt. They don't owe you anything. He doesn't thank you for doing what he always does. God always forgives people who repent. We don't impress God when we forgive someone because he's commanded us to forgive them. He's given us his spirit to enable us to do it. So instead of feeling magnanimous like, you know, he did all that to me, but I forgave him. Like, yes, God's like, that was your duty to do. You are an unprofitable servant. You say it, I am an unprofitable servant. That word unprofitable means useless. And I was thinking, you know, if you think someone's useless for, at something, if you have a useless item, you don't use it. I don't use a useless thing. If I, th- there's this new gadget and I'm trying it, and I'm like, this thing is terrible. It's awful. It's just, it's more irritation than it's worth. I'll just throw it out. But God's like, I will take this useless servant. I'll take this unprofitable servant and I'm gonna use him. I'm gonna use her to do awesome things for my glory. They are gonna forgive when they couldn't even forgive on their own. But through me, they can. Through Christ, we can do all things because he strengthens us. We have contributed nothing, none of our merit, no merit or goodness to the kingdom of God, of ourselves. It's Christ who strengthens us. So all glory to him. We look to him with with admiration and awe. We can read about what unprofitable servants deserve in Matthew 25, 30. Jesus said, And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell, that's where the unprofitable servants deserve to go. But God, by his grace, he has forgiven us when we ask him when we repent and trust in Him. So instead of casting us from Himself, He's chosen to forgive us, to own us, to call us His children whom He loves. God delights to do this. He rejoices to do it. Continuing in Luke 17, verse 11, "...now it happened as He went to Jerusalem that He passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee." Then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers and stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Jesus is passing through Galilee and Samaria. There's these 10 lepers who call out to him. The law of Moses commanded that if you were a leper, you needed to be outside the camp. You were an outcast, literally. You had to stay outside and these 10 in their misery had bound together. And they cried out to Jesus because they were also responsible under law to keep a distance from people. They needed to cover their lip and to say, unclean, unclean, if anyone started to approach them. Now, in, in the cases of lepers, there would often be severe deformity. There could be blindness because the nerves, it, leprosy attacks your nerves. And so your eyes don't know that they're dry and you can go blind, your limbs can be damaged, fingers deformed, the smell, there would be a smell of rotting flesh on a leper because their body is slowly rotting away. And uh, among the Jews, leprosy had a terrible stigma because there were cases when it was clearly a judgment from God for sin. Miriam, remember she spoke against Moses, she became a leper and he healed her, uh, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the, the leprosy of Naaman clung to him because he was greedy and he lied, and he was he wanted those uh, gifts. King Uzziah, who transgressed in the temple, he was offering incense, and that's something only the priest should do. But he was lifted up with pride, and so God struck him with leprosy. And so, to have leprosy, it was connected with judgment for sin. And so, if you were a leper, you were an outcast socially. You were questioned spiritually, and you were basically dying a very slow death all alone. It's very tragic. But these people call out to him. What else can they do? Luke 17, verse 14. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus tells the lepers to go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed a great illustration of how faith demonstrated by obedience results in God doing miraculous wonders to cleanse and restore. And they didn't say, now wait a minute, that high priest was the same one who said we were unclean. We're not clean. It's just going to add our shame to go back and to break the law when we're unclean and go back and for him to say we're unclean again. But as they went, without questioning, they discovered they were cleansed. And I was just imagining what would be happening. It's like the open sores, they were suddenly healed. Um, Deformed limbs, they were made straight. Um, Eyes that perhaps were blind are now able to see again. Feeling returned where there had been only numbness before. So they have feeling in their feet. They have feeling. So they, they had their arms and legs covered in bandages to hide them, suddenly they're pulling off their bandages and they're going, wow, we are healed. We are clean. There's not a spot of leprosy on me. And they were so excited. It's hard to imagine when you're facing death and no hope, suddenly clean. And and you're thinking about all the things you can now do and all the people you can now see. And just a transformed perspective and a, a cleansed body. The first thing I observe in the passage is that the lepers did not earn their cleansing. They just cried out to Jesus for mercy, and he sent them away cleansed. He did not tell them now they owed him something, now they were obligated to serve him in some way and to at least shake his hand or do anything. He just says, go to the priest and show yourself. No strings attached. And it dovetails so well with the idea of sending someone away, forgiven, clean of any offense, no strings attached. That's what Jesus does here with these lepers. Verse 15, it says, one of the men, when he saw he was healed, returned with a loud voice. He's glorifying God. The text links it with him falling down on his face before Jesus as Lord, giving him thanks because Jesus is God. Luke pointed out that this man was a Samaritan, and uh, traditionally the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, but he was among those other Jewish lepers. And Jesus, he does not thank him. does he, he say, "You know what? Thank you for saying thank you." <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says, "Where there not 10 cleansed, where are the nine? In keeping with that previous example of master and servant, Jesus did not thank the man for praising him or returning to thank him. He's worthy to receive that, right? That's his just due as God, as a healer, as a savior. He's worthy to receive all praise, honor, and glory. This was the duty of man, to come before him with a humble, thankful heart. And Jesus says, where are the nine? He cleansed ten lepers, only one came back to thank him. He deserved 100% of the praise that was possible by those lepers. He got 10%. And, uh, but it didn't keep Jesus from cleansing those he knew would not come to him. He cleansed them anyway. Because he knows the hearts of men, but he's still cleansed. I bet at our most thankful, we, we ma- barely managed to give God 10% of the praise he deserves, the thanks. He's worthy of all. Spurgeon, he observed how nine willingly went to the priest, but only one returned. He says, external religious exercises are easy enough and common enough, but the internal matter, the drawing out of the heart and thankful love, how scarce a thing it is, nine obey ritual where only one praises the Lord. The man didn't return to Jesus because he had to, because he had a duty to. He said, well, you know, he did a lot for me. I feel a bit obligated that I should go back. It was the love of Christ that drove him back, caused him to return. It was a joyful privilege to glorify and praise God. When we repent, when we forgive people out of duty, you know that it's a privilege to be able to repent, and it's a privilege to be able to forgive someone. And it's God who empowers us to do that. God's given you the power through faith in Him to forgive others, to be free of the bondage of bitterness and resentment forever. A privilege, I looked up the word. It's a benefit of favor and advantage. Responding to God's prompting to repent of your sin and in faith joyfully to forgive others. It provides evidence that the Holy Spirit is in you beyond even speaking in tongues because now you're walking in love towards God because you trust Him. What benefits we have to receive fellowship in following our Savior. We're so undeserving. It was unlawful for the the lepers to come near others and it was unlawful for us to be brought into the presence of God But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 19 concludes, and he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. All 10 were cleansed of their leprosy. Seems a Samaritan who returned to give glory and thanks to God, he received spiritual cleansing as well as physical. Matthew Henry wrote this, the rest were made whole by the power of Christ and compassion to their distress but he was made whole by his faith by which Christ saw him distinguished from the rest. Jew and Gentile alike who cries out to Jesus for mercy receives it. The Samaritan was made whole body and soul through faith in God. I think in the midst of a global pandemic, there's a lot of value placed on physical healing. Like if we could just get rid of this virus, all would be well. Well, I'm thinking there's gonna be some other thing to take its place. Um, like we should value the spiritual aspect of healing and cleansing over the physical. Because these bodies, they're fading, they're perishing. But the inward man, that will continue on. We need that spiritual cleansing for a healthy relationship with God. Those those lepers just wanted mercy to have physical cleansing, but we need that spiritual cleansing that comes through Christ. Now, I know of many people who have suffered permanent disabilities and have chronic pain, who have lived with cancer for years, who walk close to Jesus with joy and thanksgiving. There's a gratefulness in them for the life that God's given them, a life that other people say, I couldn't do that, I don't want that. But they rejoice in it because they rejoice in Jesus, because he's the one who helps them. He's the one who sustains them. He's the one who's accepted them, and they praise him despite the pain. I know a family who just lost their house and all their belongings in a forest fire, and they're praising the Lord. They're thanking Him, and it's such a testimony to me of the, the power of God and his, his grace to us that He would put in us a great joy where the victim is the victor. The victim is now the comforter through the power of the Holy Spirit And people who have really very little to complain about are now strengthened in faith in Christ through this testimony. When we're bitter because of our circumstances, when we refuse to repent for our sin, or if we withhold forgiveness from others, we're really only punishing ourselves. We're like a tree in shock that cannot grow fruit, that drops its leaves, an eye that cannot see, an ear that cannot hear, a light hidden under a basket, salt with no flavor, a numb hand in the body that can't feel to grasp anything because we've lost our purpose as servants of God who obey his bidding. We're really those lepers. We're all, we we fit with them. We are those lepers. We're all unclean. We're all unworthy of cleansing. The question is, will we draw near to God when our wound is incurable, when we are powerless, when we are hopeless to find hope in Jesus Christ? Because our sinful condition, it is incurable. It's beyond our power. Even as a person with leprosy, they lose sensation and and feeling. When we're filled with unforgiveness, when we're stumbled by that, we can't praise, we can't thank, we can't glorify God as we ought to. When we've done all Jesus Christ has commanded, we still remain unprofitable servants who have done our duty, but what joy and cleansing and healing we enjoy because God empowers his servants to do his will. So instead of stumbling over the faults of others, let's forgive as Jesus forgives us. It's that forgiving, obedient servant that we'll hear on the cusp of eternity well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Faithful servant instead of unprofitable. God will not thank us for serving him. He's worthy to be served. That's, that's why we exist. He will, but it's crazy. When we serve God, he will accept us with commendation. Can you imagine it? The unworthy, useless servant being praised, By his master. It's awesome. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are so good to us. That we are those unprofitable servants. Who have only done our duty. When we're at our best. And you know us, Lord, at our worst. Beyond what we even realize. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that's in Jesus Christ. That when we come to him in repentance. He sends us away forgiven. And he draws us to himself with love. Thank you, Lord, that you are so good, that you are gracious and compassionate, you're full of mercy, and that it's by your stripes we are healed. Thank you, Lord, for these scriptures. I pray that you would put in us a heart of forgiveness, that we wouldn't stumble over the offenses. We'd give those to you as we look to you, and we'd trust you moving forward. And thank you that We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, wherever we are in this message, I pray that we would uh, walk in the way that pleases you and you'd fill our hearts with with such joy and admiration for you that it overshadows completely any offense we have suffered because you are worthy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.